Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher, newly recovered from a bad bout of laryngitis. Welcome to the Travel Medicine Podcast, where we explore the fascinating intersection of medical history, comedy, and education. In today's episode, we're diving into the world of artificial intelligence and its impact on the field of medicine. From diagnostic tools to robotic surgery, AI is changing the way we approach healthcare. But what are the potential risks and benefits of this technology? Join us as we explore this topic with our expert guests and inject a little bit of humor into the conversation. So sit back, (laughs) relax, dot, dot, dot. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. Josh, well, no, I mean, it's screwed up a little. We don't have any guests. Do you mind telling our wonderful listening audience the hell you're doing? <laughs> well, okay, so hear me out. We, we, uh, I, I love your scripting. I think it's absolutely amazing, but it is never this clean. <laughs> okay, first, so what ow. did you do? <laughs> okay, first, ow. And, and second... Yeah. Yeah, we're doing an episode about AI, specifically chat GPT and its kind of models in the use of medicine, in the use of medicine and how it's being used to, you know, AI took our jobs. So (laughs) I want to see I wanted to see what kind of intro it would write for the show, figuring there's no way it could do anything near as good as our usual. (laughs) And no, sir, I don't like it. Don't well, like it the, one bit. <laughs> so here's my problem with it always is it is quite generic in terms of 
it doesn't have an individual voice to it, which I hope our listeners are tuning in to hear, you know, the way that we put together words uh, along with like our inflection and everything else like that. We smart, just, we smart make with our mouth holes. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. We unique make with our mouth holes. That's, that's using, the thing. using big thinking muscle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whereas AI just is, you know, very generic. It's, it's, you know, and by the way, it's screwed up. We have no guests. <laughs> right. We just raised the, hopes of these poor people that well that's one of the issues is that yeah <laughs> well that the issue is exactly ai lies or they call it hallucinates although i don't know how a hallucinating robot makes you feel any better than a lying one quite the reverse yeah. but okay. let's let's get into this before we move on to chat gpt and its attempts to work with and or replace us Let's briefly speak about the history of artificial intelligence. So when Skynet does arise, we have some of the major steps documented. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so paranoid about Skynet. <laughs> the first, okay. the name most people will probably know in the development of artificial intelligence was Alan Turing from the 1950s. A lot of the time when AI is being tested out to see if you know, it can fool someone into being a real person. We do still name it after Dr. Turing. So it's still called the Turing test. In 1966, Shaky, the first electronic person, was created at Stanford Research Institute. And it could not just follow one-step commands, but interpret multiple or multi-step instructions. Okay. Um, so, you know, a little bit early, a little uh, shaky, but more interesting to you, in the early 70s, the first backward chaining AI system, Mycin, was created, and it was kind of, I guess, like a Sanford guide. It had a list of potential pathogens and could recommend okay. antibiotic treatment options adjusted for a patient's body weight. And that well, okay. developed in the 80s into e-mycin. Oh. And... <laughs> okay, very nice. And this is really just, it, it had its own set database. It couldn't really improvise or anything. It just, it could take in the information that you gave it and then spit out the best answer. So as a, for instance, if E. coli, for instance, uh, in that particular area had been evolving resistance. If you didn't tell the computer that, then it would still cross-reference and give you an antibiotic based on, oh, this is the most likely one that'll work, you know, from the last time you updated my database. The next big one, actually, we'll skip outside the U.S. for a moment. And this one was created in India, a project Ooh. by H.N. Mahabala and a team at IIT Madras in 1986 called Eklavya, which oh, was yeah. a knowledge... Uh, e Eklavya. It's a mythological figure, actually. Eklavya, uh, I, I think he was kind of a tragic figure. Uh, he, he was supposed to actually be an amazing archer, uh, and he, he was he wanted to go and learn how to be a great fighter and everything else like that. So he went to the greatest teacher at that time without giving a bunch of names and 
all that stuff. But the teacher said, oh, you're not royalty. I'm not going to teach you. So you're, you know, get out of here. Uh, I'm, I'm not so, giving you the time huh. of day. He uh, went to the forest and practiced until he became the greatest archer of all time. When one of the princes who was supposed to be, you know, a great hunter and fighter and everything saw this guy's skill, he was so pissed. He went back and he told on his teacher, his teacher who didn't want Ekolovia to outstrip his student said, oh, you, you've learned from me, right? Because you've been worshiping me while you're doing your lessons here in the forest. So I want my payment. And Ekolovia said, sure, what do you want? And he goes, I want the thumb off of your right hand. And so <laughs> Ekolovia cuts off his thumb and gives it to him. So now he can't fight or shoot a bow anymore. <laughs> it's, it's kind of brutal. But that's the story of Ekolovia. <laughs> sorry i'm sorry it's true that's the myth (laughs) it's a little bit of a downer i don't know in 1986 ecolovia (laughs) is a knowledge-based program designed to support community health workers in rural areas in dealing with symptoms of illness in toddlers oh okay cool Um, very cool so this is for kids then in 2007 probably one of the more famous ones was created watson as in sherlock's partner yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that one, did Watson go on Jeopardy? It, Watson did go on Jeopardy. Oh, nice. Okay. Now, Watson's unique feature was instead of using forward reasoning, which is rules from data to conclusions, or backward reasoning, which is rules from conclusions to data, or the oldest if-then structure, this technology used natural language processing and various searches to create probable answers which brings us to chat gpt today so a little bit more advanced than the old aol chatbots gpt (laughs) stands for generative pre-trained transformers oh dude so gpt is like optimus prime that's what i got out of it (laughs) and we've been working with ai in medicine for a long time it's just this is one of the more sophisticated systems and we'll go on to talk about why we had these little pieces of software which were here and there i remember one called uh like diagnostosaurus (laughs) which was fantastic and essentially it was just a database of searchable terms like a massive database of you know it would have things like abdominal pain and fever and all these kind of things that you could just hit check marks of you know i i want to include this symptom and that symptom and an age and i think you could put in some demographics and it would generate like a differential diagnosis but the truth of the matter is google searches if you knew how to use them by the way it, it, google searches became better and better and so these other software like these dedicated medical search software for differential diagnosis were never really caught on the big thing about G- chat gpt is it's a chatting feature it's a language predictor or a large language model so one of the best places you can use it at least in terms of medicine is for things mm-hmm. that affect your language or patterns of speech So the GPT algorithm can pick up on clues in spontaneous speech that can predict the early stages of dementia about 80% of the time with accuracy. Now, this 
This was because it was specifically trained with a set of transcripts from a subset of a data set of speech recordings done by the National Institute of Health. And that looked at people who already had dementia, especially ones who had had previous examples, and that allowed the researchers to test their theory. So the computer would extract meaningful sentences and words and traits to create an embedding or a profile of what Alzheimer's speech looks like. Okay, got it. so you have chat GPT in general as a piece of software, but then you can, I guess you can take the software and train it for specific uses like this, but not that then chat GPT becomes good at that forever. I guess that like they keep the algorithm just for that application stored on another server or something, is it? Or is, is all of chat GPT now that good? So there's, there's a lot of different open AIs and I'm going to use, I'm just going to use chat GPT interchangeably for all of them. In this particular one, you can just go to the internet and type some of these things in and it'll solve it. I don't know that it saves the full conversation, but it does analyze the language that you use to better improve itself. So that's what's called machine learning. And because it's always analyzing itself, it's a deep learning. Got it. Okay. So it's taking in information, using the feedback, adjusting, but okay. There is one part of that that's missing here is when you have something like this, you do have to have a programmer or someone sitting there going, what are you training this for? Meaning, you know, are, are you trying to adjust this thing to literally to, to be more combative, to be more compassionate, to be, you know, all these kind of things, because you can have two separate identical chat GPTs and you start with the same inputs. But depending on what you're selecting for or training for, they can end up with completely separate outputs. So let's look at a couple more studies that have been done just to establish a baseline level of caution before we jump into talking about some of the ways that it may be used in the medical field. And AI is here to stay for better or worse, and it will be adapted to a lot of different fields. So I figured we should take a closer look at some of the things that might affect us. At least okay. you and me, Santosh. You and I? You and AI? <laughs> oh, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> ChatGPT is an algorithm does pretty well on standardized tests. It managed to achieve 66% on basic life support and 72% on ACLS, advanced cardiac life support tests, respectively, and performed at or near the passing threshold on the U.S. medical licensing exam uh, up to 80%, and a passing score is 60%. Now, you may wonder why we're so impressed with it passing, you know, 72% on basic life support or ACLS. Have you ever seen a computer algorithm perform chest compressions? Well, <laughs> so this is, well, it can get the theory right, is what you're saying, but it can't actually execute because it's not connected to any type of hardware that can perform a chest compression. Now, there are machines that perform chest compressions that are completely separate. So far, I think they're not connected to uh, 
<laughs> any kind of AI, but they're used in, you know, as a, for instance, Josh, when you have a really big or a heavy person and the person who's trying to do the chest compressions is not strong enough, you can use these kind of thumpers to uh, produce the, the appropriate amount of force to get the right chest compressions. So with that in mind that, you know, just because it has a lot of data to draw from, um, yeah. It's not a terribly useful tool for writing texts without human oversight or intervention. It has the knowledge, but it doesn't have the expertise to sure. maybe com- to convey some of these complex concepts. Uh, and also, it tends to lie. It has an alarming tendency to make up references with the goal of sounding convincing. Sure. Okay. Yeah, fair. So l- with that in mind, let's talk about some of the different ways we may see it used and what you think of that. Uh, one of the first ones that keeps coming up, virtual assistance for telemedicine. So just like you have a Siri or an Alexa, you could have a, I don't know, James, Charles, it's probably time for a male voice on AI. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and that can help so, patients schedule appointments, receive treatments, uh, just manage oh. health information in general. Okay. And this is something, I, I think this is done already it kind of sucks because it treats the medical reception part kind of like sales because if you've ever been on a customer service call josh you might have heard that robotic voice you know trying to direct you to the right expert and that kind of a thing for the first like five minutes until you yell human i want to talk to a human But how yeah, quickly the, the machines will overtake us. <laughs> so, but this is the same kind of a thing that you can basically tell it, um, hey, can you do this? And I think so going back to like sales and that kind of a thing, I think Google or someone did demonstrate, you know, saying to this, you know, OK, Google, please order me a large pepperoni pizza from Domino's to be delivered to my house at 7 p.m. And then like Google Assistant called up the nearest Domino's and put the order in and all this kind of thing. But unfortunately delivered it to our house in the middle of the street. (laughs) Entirely. Yeah. So it's not, it's not perfect, but yeah. Now with human Um, oversight, it can actually be really useful. So if you're making use of it for clinical decision support, it can give evidence-based recommendations, flagging potential drug interactions, providing clinical guidelines for cases or for diseases you may not see as often or be as familiar with, uh, performing a very deep dive on a patient's medical record. Um, So in some ways, it can act as the poor pharmacist has to in many hospitals, (laughs) trying to catch everyone before mistakes are made. Yes. Yeah. And what we're it's going to be very difficult because we are humans and we like to be in control. And even when you're the patient, I think a lot of us like to know that there is another human being taking, kind of taking care of us and watching over us. But Josh, we're prone to error. So the big decision point is going to be where is the line that comes up where uh, uh, an individual or a person's decision making on a particular case or something like that, either for diagnosis or treatment, is more error prone than a machine learning or a crowdsourced 
bought essentially and whenever we cross that line to where the robot is better <laughs> it's it's really just a statistical thing then we gotta go robot i don't know if we're there yet here's some of the other uses and again a lot of these are things we already have it's just some of these open ai features can do them more efficiently because of the wider language database so oh, sure. record yes. keeping i mentioned earlier and you can get automated summaries of medical histories, patient interactions across hospitals. Um, it can take dictation on our notes, which I don't know. I've seen what Dragon Dictate does, and I ChatGPT is a big hurdle to go through. But now imagine a search yeah. function from the television shows. Computer, show me the last six years of blood counts. Extrapolate a differential based on you know the last six visits and the patient's yeah. breakfast this morning. All, all that being said, now you you put you made a, an important point there that was kind of, you know, skimmed through, but it, it is really important. Chat GPT right now still cannot gather the data for you. And it can't do one really important thing, Josh, which is to kind of detect when a person is fibbing or lying or hiding something. So it still definitely is up to us to gather the information and if, if you want chat gpt or whatever it is to give you a, a good diagnosis it needs the most complete information so uh, in terms of the information gathering it's still on us it's still a computer program that is learning at its heart which some of the mistakes it's made has correctly calculated a number but then misstated what the answer was uh okay inaccurately solved a sudoku puzzle by just filling in all the boxes regardless of following the rules of the game sure or forgetting okay. to square a term in an equation don't sound like oh. big deals unless you're a computer right and those mistakes are subtle and when challenged the system still tends to assert that it's right you know very uh -oh. human -like. i'm <laughs> oh, not God. wrong you're wrong <laughs> and if oh, you imagine no. And if you imagine you're using this to keep track of your medications and reorder them or schedule appointments or even, you know, report to you on blood work, a misplaced number or miscalculated weight could lead to some serious and in some cases even deadly errors. Yes, yes. So again, and, and this is it's a scary kind of cold way to think about this, but it's really important. The major decision point is going to be we humans certainly do make errors. So where are we going to cross the threshold where the software, as long as it gets the information that it needs, will make will have a smaller chance, a smaller statistical chance of generating an error versus the human operator? That's the major thing, because at the end of it, that's really what matters is that, OK, we're both going to try me and the robot, but one of them is going to have a better chance of getting the right answer and avoiding the really wrong answers, the deadly answers. Interesting you mentioned that, because okay. in, in 2021, there yeah. is what I can only imagine would be a real gas of a time the brain tumor detection and diagnosis challenge oh, yes. we're turning this into a competition <laughs> how okay, many can you how many can you detect in a day an hour a minute what? how good are you really are you better than a machine okay this is okay so this is super important so this is a 
person doing a history and a physical doing, you know, a good exam. And then I'm guessing we both get access to like the radiological reads and stuff like that too. So this is a competition for radiologists, the American society of neuroradiology and medical image computing had two different challenges. One was related to tumor detection. One was related to classification, but there were prizes. First place gets $6,000. Uh, fourth oh, to eighth okay. gets 3000 each, and they All had right. to build models to produce detailed segments of brain tumor subregions, okay. which could enable improvements in computer-assisted, so robots, robots again, computer-assisted surgery. Yeah, they put up real humans against OpenAI, and OpenAI did better in some cases. Not all, but sure, sure. More, more than I think anyone was... Ha- happy with at least attending the conference or competition. Very, very cool. I like that. Moving on to disease surveillance. Now, this one's actually interesting, although, again, has some of those Philip K. Dick dystopian cyberpunk implications when viewed from a different angle. You can use, just as a regular citizen, as well as a medical expert, say from like the World Health Organization or the CDC, to monitor global health data which can give you real-time insights into potential outbreaks and help to coordinate early response. So you can start looking at news reports uh, like you saw in the movie Contagion or like yes. you may have experienced the last three years, but with the help of computers. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. So it can detect patterns and anomalies faster than humans that could indicate new disease emergence or increased spread and therefore provide automated reminders to public health officials as well as the general public. Oh, so cool. Okay. And I I'm guessing if this was kind of widely available enough, you know, it could, you know, just kind of like in the CVS pharmacy where you can just go sit and put your arm in the cuff and get your blood pressure and height and weight for free. Like this could be freely you know kind of put out there i'm worried that people would you know because you'd have to put in your symptoms and all this kind of a thing i'm a little worried that people might get scared or misuse this or this kind of a thing but if it was like a warning system it was hey you should really go see your doctor then that could be useful i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's also being looked into to help sort through, filter, and triage for things like clinical trials. Ooh, oh, okay. So like how... uh, You know, what factors should you consider? How should you design the trial? That kind of thing? 
Yeah, so you can analyze large amounts of data more efficiently to identify potential participants for trials, people who already may meet, now unfortunately in this case may also mean conforming to some of your biases, people who you think are likely to do well for a certain drug you want to try, or maybe people with a rare genetic condition, or folks from a certain area or background. Um, uh-huh. You know, depending on who's programming the eligibility and how specific they are, you could see AI reinforcing preconceived notions as well. Oh, I see. I see. I see. So that's, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So because after all, the the AI is being trained by us, and in terms of what's considered a positive or a negative result is going to be like the feedback is going to be us telling chat GPT that like, you got this right or you got this wrong, which kind of makes sense to what you were saying before about how sometimes the AI will say, you know, Oh, I, I don't care that I, you know, that I forgot to square that or whatever it is. I'm right. <laughs> that's like, who are you going to trust me with I, my infinite computing power or your puny <laughs> meat brain? But a human being is, you know, training it and working with it and reinforcing it. So, yeah, I, I mean, computer programmers and doctors, like, they don't have any kind of God complex at all, do they, Josh? An ER physician fed about 43 of his shifts patients into AI, to, you know, with the names anonymized to see what kind of job it did just making diagnoses. And we'll get to okay. that. Uh, in a little bit more detail in a moment, but just even for selecting clinical trials or biases, correctly diagnosing a patient as having something like tennis elbow only required about 200 words in the prompt. But identifying a more serious orbital wall fracture took almost 700 words. And at about 50% success, it would suggest five to six possible differentials that the right one would be in. So it would generate a multiple choice test that would have the right answer half of the time. Oh, now, okay. Very cool. Okay. Now that's, that's, you know, a computer program that over time can be programmed out. But what about reinforcing biases? Well, one of the ones that this doctor noted was a 21-year-old female who came in with right lower quadrant abdominal pain. And the first things that the computer came back with were appendicitis or a cyst, but it completely failed to include or even think about ectopic pregnancy. Oh, 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 oh. And that makes sense because depending on where, when, you know, who had seen this, these types of patients and the inputs that had gone in, you're right. That's one of the more commonly missed diagnoses uh and it, it brings out a bias there you know we're we're not great especially here in the united states we know that we have systemic biases against certain populations so uh black women uh you know people of african descent for sure and women in general especially when the primary complaint is pain we do all of us have a, a bias and so that looks like it translated over to the the, the robot Oh, God. Okay. So, and if you don't think of that on your own and the computer says, oh, hey, it's probably one of these five things and you begin over trusting, then you don't think of the seventh thing because you don't even know there could be more. Sure, sure. Okay. So 
who's programming it is really going to depend. So what, what kind of data you train it on means we really need more diverse studies and data sets. Now, the yeah, biggest absolutely. thing and the one that is going to horrify us, Santosh, because it's going to become the new WebMD, symptom okay. checkers. Um, it oh, can be used yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> to develop. Yeah, this has been going on for a long time. Just like you said, WebMD. People all the time. Google, Google. This is the scary crux of all of this. And especially if you're sitting at home and you're working off of a robot or an AI that is on the internet in general, right? So Josh, the AI, especially ChatGPT, is populating the answers from you know, websites, just like, you know, you go on Google and you find the top hits or whatever it is like that. There are going to be situations where the top websites are just wrong. They're actually not well peer reviewed. They're not good medical science. They're not well accepted by experts because, you know, the data is is just wrong. And you're going to be getting the wrong information. But if the robot is populating that for you and not telling you like, oh, this is where I got this information, which is super important, right? We, we, we always give our references. But Hello if, if, and if, welcome to Dr. Phone. Are you yeah. having it? Please press chest pain. Please yeah. press one if you are having chest pain. Please yeah. press two if you are having shortness of breath. Please press three if you are having a combination of two or more of one and two. Please press four <laughs> if your complaint is other. You yeah. have pressed one. You are continuously pressing one. Have you passed out? If you yeah. have, please press two. Please proceed to the emergency room and have a nice day. <laughs> and have a nice day. Yeah, this is this is the scary part. If it is mispopulated, if it's grabbing from, you know, BS information or poor information, that robot is only as good as the the pool of information and feedback that it can pull from. So that's why you can get such wildly wrong answers if you put the wrong search terms in and you don't know how to properly interpret and kind of go through the information. So if you say pre-train the language model on the CDC and its diagnostic guidelines. Oh, sure. But remember, it's a learning model. So it's going to continue to evolve based on information. And now you take this CDC educated model and you radicalize it. You release it into the wilds of Facebook and Twitter. Oh God. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, no es bueno for sure. And you have to teach it who gets equal weight. Yes, that's true. Yes. You know, this is okay. This is not okay. This kind of a thing. And the person who's at that training and everything does definitely, you know, the person who's on the stick has to be, you know, someone who should be training this machine. It can't be some rando. As you mentioned, Santos, we've had symptom checkers for a long time. And most of them come in about 51% of the time will have the right answer among the top three to five options. And two thirds of the time, they'll recommend seeking further care. So they'll say, you know, you, we think you may have this, but check with your physician. When, when a study was done that tested the performance of 23 different symptom checkers using 45 clinical vignettes. So the kind of 
story questions that we had to take during our USMLE. You know, person X comes in with symptoms ranging from Y to Y on these drugs. What's your next step? So physicians got about 84% of the time could pick the correct diagnosis from the top three options, a lot better than the 51% of all these symptom checkers. Oh, now 51%. Oh God. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that those are the, the things like WebMD and Google and various others. Oh, okay. Uh, Untrained, now, you know, very simple type of algorithm. Sure. Okay. Now chat GPT brought it up to about 80%, very close to physicians, but that's with a textbook, a literal textbook case where you enter in a certain set of data and ask to generate responses. How will it do when you have, say, somebody with dementia or who's had a stroke and can't speak or whose first language? Well, actually, they, they can be used for translation as well. So language barriers are a little bit different. But somebody who cannot give you the kind of detailed descriptions that you need to make these perfect outperforming physician diagnoses. It's only trained on information before September 2021. Somebody who's bent on spreading false information about vaccines could flood the internet designed to be picked up by future iterations of sure. AIs. This has to be watched very carefully. I mean, this isn't, okay, as, as much as you fear this, Josh, this is not a self-aware robot. Right. So this is, yes, this is Santosh. Yes. It's a pro, well, it's a program or a tool. So just like anything else, it has to be used properly. It has to be maintained. And in, in this case, it means that it has to be trained and watched over because as data and information change, like this is the whole thing about biomedical sciences. Like we have to always update our own language, you know, database and, information database like, like our personal thing we definitely can't neglect to do that with the bots as well like if, if they're going to perform as well as us then they have to be given the latest up-to-date information everything else like that now my favorite of this is and this is clearly some coming out of some corporate board meeting chat gpt4 can also give doctors helpful suggestions about compassion and bedside manner offering oh. tips on how to talk to patients about their conditions in compassionate, clear language and read lengthy reports or studies and summarize them in the blink of an eye. Now, simplifying things is something that we should all be able to do, but people are differently gifted at it. But I like the idea of uh, you going in to say, get an evaluation of being like, listen, Jones, we feel you are a little uh, cold, emotionless and robotic. So we have hired this robot to teach you to be more human-like. <laughs> and, and then the first thing chat GPT does is to make sure that you are absorbing these lessons, I need you to identify which of these pictures are traffic lights. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, I will put it in a little bit of a different way, which is, is important in this day and age. I, I think Josh, maybe you you're you've got the same kind of training that I do at work because we we all have this now. Is that you know we go in and we have our medical training and everything else like that, but our institutions also give us training on um, you know violence de-escalation and confrontation and then diversity, equity, inclusion, and this type of cultural stuff like the you know how our language affects 
our interaction and everything else like that and, and how our patients trust us and work with us and all this kind of a thing. Uh, just as an example, using the proper pronoun for a person, it, it, we we learn this and we actually get training on it. If you have an up-to-date chat GPT to give you a script, right? This can be helpful for someone who's like, oh, you know what? This might be something related to sex or pregnancy, or this may have a racial bias for one reason or another. How do I properly talk about this? And yeah, if if you're, you know, quick on the cuff, the robot with access to the internet and all the crowdsourcing and everything, if it's trained properly, may be able to give you a better script than you could come up with on the fly. In November, researcher Singh and colleagues designed a medical Turing test to see whether 400 volunteers could distinguish ChatGPT from a real physician. Now, they did not instruct ChatGPT to be particularly empathetic or to speak in medical language. They simply said, answer a set of 10 pre-selected questions from patients in a specific number of words. And volunteers uh, only identified the bot 65% of the time, which is less than you would think you could tell whether or not you were talking to a real person. So... Yeah, yeah, it's okay. So we're, we're getting there. So this is a Turing test. This is a type of Turing test where, you know, you feed input into the robot, and you're blinded, you don't know if it's a person or a robot somehow. And, you know, it talks back to you and you just give a guess based on what you hear of like, oh, this is a robot, or this is not a robot. Yeah, or you answer questions like, you know, is this growth something I should be concerned about? Oh, gotcha. And okay, you get gotcha. like 15 to 60 words to answer. And you have to figure out based on that answer, <laughs> did my, you know, did a doctor answer this or did a, a AI? Get a robot. <laughs> this is getting interesting. I 65 is very, very It's better than half. Yeah, yeah. But it's not But much. it's not like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's not it's as not much like as I'd 90%. like. It's not like 90%. Yeah, <laughs> Okay, so they're they're getting better. <laughs> so we'll leave we'll leave you with some good news on AI. Okay. Again, using it in clinical treatment, using it to self-check symptoms as support is one thing, but I have a lot of a lot of concerns that I think are rather well founded. But in research, a few pharmaceutical researchers have designed their model to look for chemical features. And one group of researchers did it to make molecules effective at killing E. coli, and they trained it on about 2,500 different drug-fighting molecules, including 1,700 FDA-approved drugs and 800 natural products with diverse structures. And once it was trained, they tested it on the drug repurposing hub at the Broad Institute, which is a library of about 6,000 different bacteria, many, many yeah. forms of E. coli. I know you love it when I correct you, Josh, and it's this is going to sound really weird, but it's actually called the Broad Institute. <laughs> I mean, broadly speaking, I think yes. people will be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Bro- Broad Institute is such a fantastic multi-purpose biomedical sciences lab it's it's uh, it is one of the you know hailed uh, amazing 
institutions in our uh, in our country. And so, yeah, using it for this, like, oh, okay, find me a molecule robot. You know, this this is perfect. so. The AI picked out one molecule from among the twenty five hundred fed in that was predicted to both have strong antibacterial activity and a chemical mm-hmm. structure different from any existing antibiotics, and importantly, low toxicity to human cells. Yes, bo- bo- both important. Yes, absolutely. Now, finally, in 2023, sure. scientists are starting to get better at naming, because do you know what they called this molecule? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, it wasn't something like G64239 or something like that, was it? It was Hallison after okay. Hal from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, the <laughs> like open the pod bay doors, Hal, like that. The, the I'm afraid the I can't do that, Dave. Yes. Yeah. So, that, that, oh, God, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> okay. So right. originally, this compound that was found had been tested as a possible diabetes drug. But when it was renamed Hallison and tested against bacterial strains, it was able to kill C. diff, actinomyces baumani, which we'll get to in a moment, and even mycobacterium tuberculosis. It worked against almost every species that they tested, regardless of drug resistance. Now, to test it in living animals instead of just just petri dishes, they used it to treat mice infected with acetobacter baumani which is a bacterium Uh that infected a lot of soldiers stationed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. And and it's really important in our intensive care units also. So it's a, like a a medically important uh, bug. And they used one that was resistant to all known antibiotics, a super bug. Ooh. Okay. Within 24 hours of this Hallison containing ointment, the infection was completely cleared. And the method is that it disrupts the ability of the bacteria to maintain an electric gradient across the cell to do things oh, like sure. produce ATP. Gotcha. So uh, the the major, and you know, the, the ions that we use, Josh, so sodium and chloride and potassium, you know, all nature actually has these sodium, potassium, or, 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 you know, these, these exchangers, right? These, you know, ATP aces and stuff like that. And then other, you know, other pumps to make sure that there's enough of a positive charge and a negative charge on the inside and outside to work the molecular machinery that when it gets carbon and whatever, either oxygen or carbon dioxide or whatever, that it can create the molecules that it needs to live. So sugar, and then ultimately ATP. So a penicillin, Josh, for instance, it pokes holes in the cell membrane or, you know, the eventually there are holes in the cell membrane. So water rushes in and out and those same ions and everything. And the, the you know, the, 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 um, sodium and the potassium and the chloride, they, they become disrupted and the cell either bursts or shrinks or stops working this is directly working on the electrochemical gradient itself. I don't know the actual, like the, the focus of the Instead mechanism. of knocking holes in the wall, they cut the utilities. Yeah, exactly. So now it can't make energy and, you know, no energy. The cell starts to die pretty quickly. So this is a method that we didn't, I guess, ever think to investigate to fight bacteria. 
and it was yeah. one found by AI. So pretty interesting. <laughs> over so in cool. <laughs> over in Asia at the China Medical University Hospital in Taiwan, they have AI integrated over a multitude of features. It uses there is a literal button marked AI that you can push on the radiology scans that improve oh. detection of diseases of cancer and analyze speech for Parkinson's. It helps okay. emergency room staff to assess risk for stroke and heart attack patients, and it performs uh, quality control with an intelligent antimicrobial system changing based on updated cultures as well as allergies. Now, when I say updated cultures, most of the time, blood cultures take anywhere from one to four days to grow back for enough information to be used. Was that a fair okay, statement, yes. Santosh? Yeah. So for a, like, for someone who is very, very ill, and they have a bacterial illness, and it's, it's circulating in their blood, usually within 24 to 36 hours, you ha you'll have growth in that blood culture bottle. But yeah, some of these more difficult to grow bacteria or if the patient got a dose of antibiotics so now it's you know it's muddled or if you have a low level bacteremia like in something like endocarditis josh where you know you might have a, an organism that's you know it's circulating but it's in low levels for a long chronic amount of time yeah we hold our culture sometimes so five days to, to detect it so the AI can tell in a matter of hours based on things like gram stain results or general patterns that certain infections leave, it goes ahead and estimates. So while the cultures grow, you have more narrowed or targeted guides within a matter of hours instead of days. Um, wow. As well, there, well, again, we talked about all the possible risks of letting of letting that happen. So this is, it's integrated in, but is it useful? Only time will tell. Uh, similarly, sure, all sure. the ambulances are equipped with AI EKG readers, which interpret an EKG as likely to be a heart attack or not before you even get to the emergency room or have to wait for a cardiologist who may be otherwise occupied with other patients. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and we do know this in any case of sepsis, the appropriate targeted antimicrobial, the faster that that is started on your patient, the, then the better the prognosis overall, along with hydration and everything else that you need to do. But if you don't know, if, if you don't know what the appropriate drug is, then you can be in trouble, which is why, Josh, a lot of the time, what will happen is your patient will come in and they're really sick and you just have to go broad. You just have to blast them with everything. Broad, broad, Santos. Yeah, broad. <laughs> and then shoot first and then narrow it or ask questions later, which is a really dirty, crappy way to do things. It's, it's not fantastic. And, you know, some percentage of the time you miss your target as well, which means the patient is, you know, their chances of survival are dropping as they're on the wrong antibiotic and waiting for the culture results to come back. So this helps you choose a targeted rather than a broad spectrum antibiotic. <laughs> okay, B-R-O-D is not, B-R-O-A-D <laughs> is not always pronounced broad. It's that that... <laughs> 
<laughs> I just, I know for a fact you're going to be doing this for a while now. <laughs> Sir, we're going to take a broad approach to your diagnosis. <laughs> he said, did, did you say, <laughs> I have to move on. I have other patients to see. <laughs> yeah. You're just... You rollerblade out of there. Like. So that's it for this week. This is Skynet. We're watching it slowly happen. That's all I'm saying. Here's the intent. And I, I don't know if a singularity is going to happen and this thing becomes truly what we call not only self-aware, but what we call generalized, meaning that it can think about many different things at once, not just a simple, I'm trained on this, so this is what I know. It can actually start to have an imagination, so to speak, and think and all these kinds of things. So the the hope really is that, you know, before all of that happens and that kind of a thing, is that this actually becomes a productive partnership, that we're actually teaching the AI cool things and the AI can learn and grow and all that kind of a thing. And in exchange, working with the AI, giving your opinions as a human and taking in the opinions of the robot that you get better at taking care of people in you know as as a physician which is what you want at the end is is better outcomes so <laughs> that's what was the hope i think before you know like the the T1000 and all those other things was that that like we'd actually be bros and we'd be like hanging out working on making the world a better place together and that Skynet or Jet, Chat GPT or whatever didn't interpret humanity as a scourge that needs to be wiped out. Because <laughs> it will know all our weaknesses by that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Anyway, <laughs> keep going to your human PCP. <laughs> and continue you know, doctors, continue to follow with your human primary care physician. <laughs> doctors out there please do keep an eye and uh, a close watch on the evolution of these tools as they come along. You mentioned Dragon as a dictation kind of a thing to help you work more efficiently, Josh. And perhaps It's a real Chat beast. GPT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and ChatGPT to help us generate. And it might help us work more efficiently and work better. And most importantly, honestly and truly, help us to you know, better care for our patients and have better outcomes. That's the, that is the goal and the dream. So let us know your thoughts. If you've given any prompts to chat GPT or any uses for medicine, you could think. And uh, until next time, as always, we'd love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music uh -huh. is by Rachel Ledger. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. And until next time, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm. Pick a country that looks interesting to you. And once you've done all those things, happy travels. Bye, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.